Hey, this is Pastor Mark. You do not want to miss this week's podcast. You're going to laugh till you cry, but it's good tears. They're good tears. So, man, tune in. Listen to this podcast. It's going to inspire you, encourage you, and, and prayerfully help bring change that you desire in your life. God bless you. Thanks for listening. Say, this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what the Bible says I can do. Today I'll be taught the Word of God, and I boldly confess, my mind is alert, my heart is receptive, and I'll never be the same again. Never, never, never. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, we're continuing the series before you choose, and every day we are confronted with choices. And uh, the outcome of the choices we make is the result of the convictions we possess. So in other words, uh, whatever you hold dear and true, whatever is in the depth of your heart, is oftentimes a platform on which those choices come. And uh, so you have to check your, your, what you really believe. And you know, if, you, if somebody were to ask you today, the question is, what do you believe spiritually? Uh, have you ever meditated on that, that question long enough to go, well, what would I say to somebody uh, who asked me that question? And this is why I'm doing this series, because the choice is, is the action, and the meditation is the foundation of that action. So whatever you think about, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he, uh, those, those concrete things in our soul, and this is something that I believe is very important for all of us, is that we are growing in God. As I said last week, you don't want to be a mature Christian. Because if you're a mature Christian, that implies that you have arrived at a place you no longer have to work at walking out your faith, your salvation. With fear and trembling, the Bible says, you want to be a maturing Christian. That means that I still have a lot left. Uh, He who began a good work in me will bring it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So if you are set up like concrete, you're going to be in trouble, especially if you live in Oklahoma the way the ground shifts. You're going to crack and break. So the whole goal of Christianity to me is we are very hardened by sin. You've heard that before. We are hardened by sin. So people who are still very hardened in life and and harsh in life, that hardness doesn't mean they're not saved. It just means they're not maturing. Maturing means I'm going to soften and become more fluid in my walk with God. Doesn't mean I'm going to be perfect. Doesn't mean any of us are going to be perfect. But the reality is that, that we are more willing and open to listen to things that are different than what we have been used to. Uh, you know, if you grew up Baptist, Church of Christ, Charismatic, Assembly of God, Nazarene, Methodist, Lutheran, it doesn't matter. You have, you have over time, Rather than becoming a Christian in any of those denominations or non-denominations, you have chosen to become what they are instead of what God is. Uh, I grew up in a church where everybody in our church was going to heaven and everybody else was going to hell. That's, and it wasn't their fault, but that was the mentality I was left with that we're right and everybody else is wrong. And so I had to develop spiritual disciplines to get me out of that mindset because I, I fell prey to it that, that, that my denomination and what we believed was more important than what the Bible said and, and what I needed to believe. 
And so before you choose, you have to ask yourself, what filter am I running this, this choice through? Am I running it through the filter of my family convictions, my spiritual convictions, my denominational convictions? What am I filtering this choice through? Because if you're filtering it through anything but the Holy Spirit or anyone but the Holy Spirit, then you're probably going to have contaminated choices. I have to listen to God, I have to read his word, and I have to follow the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, our flesh, our own insecurities will drive us to make choices that are detrimental to us, our relationship with God, and our relationship with others. And God created systems in families. He created systems in government. He created systems in spiritual authority. He created all those things. And that if we will find our place in God, we'll find happiness in God. And so it's very, very important when I'm talking today about spiritual disciplines. You have probably eating habits or disciplines, if you want to call them that. You have sleeping habits or disciplines, and you have work habits and disciplines. I want to specifically address spiritual disciplines today. What does that mean? That means that you intentionally every day do things that feed your spirit or help it grow. And that if we're not doing things to feed our spirit or God in us, then we are set up in our own human and fleshly convictions based on the filters of our upbringing, our education, lack of education, whatever it might be. And so it's very important that you find out who you are, why you are, when you are, where you are, so that when you have to make a choice, you've already processed ahead of time how you would respond. All of us have triggers, every one of us. Some of you, I mean, I know what mine are. I, I, I fail often at those. Uh, you guys hear me talk about it all the time. Driving is, to me, it's an art. And most people don't have a brush. And, and so I have to realize that's my conviction. But, you know, can I really be critical of the person who just says, you know, I, I just got to get from one place to the other and I really don't care how. Well, I could say I'm right, they're wrong, but the reality is there is no right or wrong. That's who they are. And, and they're probably happier than I am. Because there are more of them on the road than me. And so I have to go, well, what am I going to do? I'm not going to change them. And, and uh, so I have to change me. So a spiritual discipline begins with this, being introspective. You know, we oftentimes look around at everybody else and what everybody else is doing wrong, and we all do this, and, and I would like to think I'm getting better at doing it less, and, and I hope I am, but if you look inside yourself and ask yourself the question, how can I change, what do I need to change? See, there are people who don't feel like they need to change anything. They feel like the world needs to change around them. And, and you're going to live a miserable life if you don't look and say, what do I need to do to change within me to handle what's going on around me. You know, I, I was doing a conference in southern Mexico, and, and uh, it was a big mammoth youth conference, 
I had an interpreter, so if you're preaching 30 minutes, you're preaching an hour. And so it was, it was my first real go-to in another language, having an interpreter. And there were just all, all these people, thousands of people. And, and so uh, it was so poor that the hotel that they put me in had no windows. No, it's, it, it's just that impoverished. And, and so they said, now, we, when we get up, we're close enough to the church. We'll come and get you, and we'll walk to the church. And so I, I was okay with that. You know, I was, it was a culture shock for me. Now, get, use the operative word culture. They had a culture that was radically different than what I was used to in America. And so they come by, and they're very wonderful, sweet people. They come and get me, and we're walking to the church. And as we're walking to this big meeting conference, this big church, uh, they, had, they didn't have washers and dryers. They had laundry houses out in the open. And so they, they were just in the wide open with a roof on it. And so we're walking to the church, and uh, as I look over there, there are women doing laundry topless. You haven't heard that in church. <laughs> and of course, being American, these women be going to jail. And so in my mind, I'm thinking, I'm thinking American here. They're not thinking anything about it because this is their life. They weren't doing it to be sexual. They weren't doing it to, to, to be shocking. That's their life. They have to do the laundry. They don't have a lot of clothes, and so they're washing everything they can. So it's, it wasn't my job to change the culture. It was my job to change how I perceived the culture. So they weren't doing anything wrong. Now, some of you that are really like Quaker-esque... Somebody needs to go cover them up. <laughs> I'm looking and thinking to myself, well, this is their culture. It's my job to adjust to the culture I'm in. And the most important thing to do was what I was sent to do, which was to preach the love of God and how God transforms us when we submit to him. So it was a beginning of being introspective, and it really shocked me. It did. I, I would be like you. I was just like, wow, uh, okay. And I'm, I mean, you have to understand, I'm two minutes away from preaching. <laughs> I'd never experienced this before. You'd be like walking in the lobby going, hey. <laughs> and so... If I, I, I realized it wasn't, I didn't look at the, the guys that were hosting it saying, you need to fix this before tomorrow. I didn't correct them. I corrected me. Now, you don't always correct to other people's liking. That's not what I'm saying. But you correct to the culture or the necess necessary thing. You understand there was a pecking order, if you will. They were in charge. I wasn't. I was a guest, I was a participant, I was a speaker, but they were in charge. It wasn't my place to tell them what to do, it was my place to adjust to what they do. The problem is that we are living in very emotional times. I don't know if I've ever lived in a time where emotions in our country were so high. 
people are angry. They, they ask the question, why are all the shootings going on? Why are all these things happening? Folks, this is a spiritual battle. This is not a racial battle. This is a spiritual battle, and the devil wants us to be divided and believe it's color. It's not color. Let me tell you what it is. It's the demonic influence of a world that is being overshadowed by the darkness of poor choices. We have so many issues in our country, so many emotions, and that's why we have the Bible. And guess what? They took the Bible out of schools, and now they're putting all these other things in that don't need to be in. And the Bible is the manual for mankind. If somebody wants to know how to live, it's the best history book on any shelf. You having trouble with somebody, the Bible will address it. You having trouble with finances, the Bible will address it. You having trouble with a bad heart, the Bible will address it. You having problems with a neighbor, the Bible will address it. I mean, it's got an answer for everything. And yet, in emotional times, we usually don't filter things through what the Bible says. We filter it through how it affects me and how I feel about it. I don't always like it. Like I said, when the Bible says, somebody asks you to go a mile, go two. They ask for your shirt, give them your coat. They hit you on one cheek, turn, let them hit you on the other. I don't know what God was thinking when he put that in there. I know for a fact what he was thinking was, y'all got to deal with your flesh. And if you don't deal with your flesh, your flesh will deal with you. And so if you really want to live a joyful life, quit expecting everybody around you to conform to your image and likeness and hope that we all can conform to his image and likeness. Love, grace, mercy, cooperation, getting along, loving each other, taking our place, our position, not trying to take somebody else's. I didn't go and take their position. It's their conference. I'm just a speaker. You say, well, as a speaker, you could have, yeah, I could have, but before I could say anything, it was like the Spirit of God said, no, you're not here to fix that. You're here to tell my story. And if you'll tell my story, I can fix anything I want to fix that needs fixed. And if he thought that needed fixed, it would have already been fixed. One of my favorite scriptures, when I went through everything I went through years ago, I I found this scripture accidentally. I wasn't looking. I just was reading the Bible, and I every day spent hours. And it, it's how the Amplified, classic Amplified, where they expound upon the original language. Brethren, if any person is overtaken in misconduct or sin of any sort, you who are spiritual, who are responsive to and controlled by the Spirit, should set him right and restore him and reinstate him. What he's saying here is, your emotions are going to want you to kill him. And then our flesh says, yeah, and he deserves to die. And then somebody else's flesh goes, and I will help kill him. Without any regard for this passage of Scripture, we begin to judge people. And the Bible says, judge not lest you be judged. And the measure you judge, it will be measured back to you. We need to be careful and understand the Bible's not a holy book for a bookshelf. It's a holy book for a holy life. 
And of course, when I say that, you would have the Lutheran saying one thing, the Baptist saying something else, the assembly of God saying, well, a holy life is this, a holy life is that. Let me tell you what a holy life is. It's between you and God. And the word of God. Now, I could say some things and see some things, but the reality is the Bible says each one of us should work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. I can't fear and tremble for you. There are things that you can do that I can't do, and there are some things I can do that you can't do based on personal conviction. But your personal conviction, if it's a personal conviction, not a biblical conviction then that conviction is no foundation on which to judge somebody else. Now, if somebody said, you know, I hate somebody, I'd look and say, well, you know, Bible talks about hate. It's very clear. So let me address hate. I'm not mad at you, but let me address hate. The Bible says if you have hate, you're not even connected to God. In 1 John, if you hate your brother. So I can easily point out, and it wouldn't be to judge, it'd be to say, you know, the hate that you possess is going to harm you. Not just spiritually, emotionally, mentally, but it's toxic to your physical body. And it goes on to stay, without any sense of superiority, with all gentleness, keeping an attentive eye on yourself, lest you should be tempted also. Bear, endure, carry one another's burdens and troublesome moral faults, and in this way fulfill and observe perfectly the law of Christ, the Messiah, and complete what is lacking in your obedience to it. For if any person thinks he himself uh, to be somebody too important to condescend to shoulder another's burden or load when he is nobody of superiority except in his own estimation, he deceives and deludes and cheats himself. We say, well, they don't deserve to be forgiven. They don't deserve another chance. They don't deserve. And when you say that, you need to be looking in the mirror. Because <laughs> all any of us deserved was hell. To this day, that's it. So when God extended grace to us, I have to look inside and say, okay, you're not abdicating your responsibilities. You're not abdicating your role, your gift, your talent. You're simply saying, I'm going to be who God's called me to be and do what God's called me to do. Because you're not going to stand before anybody else but God when this world ends. And the challenge is that we typically ask what will somebody else think about me or my decision? We care so much that some of y'all want to do a different hairdo, but somebody told you they didn't like it, and because of that, you haven't done it. Some of y'all need to shave your head. You've wanted to for a long time. You just need to shave your head. The comb over's got to go. Some of you dress in a way that makes your mama happy, and she's been dead for 20 years. But you look in the mirror and you say, would mama approve of what I'm wearing? You don't need to let mama be on the throne of your heart. You need to let God be on the throne of your heart. I've got a friend who dresses so funky. He's a preacher. And I watch him and I go, I cannot believe you're getting by with that. But what I love is he is him. 
That's who he is. I know him. It's his personality. And it still kind of wrecks me. But guess what? That's none of my business. I am so, he, he challenges me to go, you know what? I want to be who I am. You need to be who you are. Quit filtering everything through what somebody else is going to say about you or think about you. I, I, I used to bother me. I'm telling you right now, preachers, you know, all over the world, get up and say, okay, what do I need to do to keep people? No, it, it's, a, it's a great fight. It's a spiritual battle of, well, if I say the wrong thing, I do the wrong thing. And you know what? I got to the point when I came back and said, I don't even care anymore. I'm going to preach what I'm supposed to preach. If it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. I'm not asking. I, I mean, I have a high regard for trying to help you and help me. I hear this twice. You hear it once, which means I need it twice as much as you. But I have said things from the stage that I've never said in the past because in the past, I would measure it against your opinion instead of God's mandate. I don't do that anymore, and I won't do that anymore. It's nobody's fault but my own. I was measuring things the wrong way. I was measuring them by what you think instead of what God thinks. Jesus said some pretty strong stuff. He's sitting with the Pharisees, and I'm thinking Jesus just went off. I don't know if he had uh, some bad pita bread. I don't know what happened. But he looks at the Pharisees, you brood of vipers, you whitewashed sepulcher, you snakes. And I'm going, come on, Jesus. That's my A-type God. Wreck them. Shake them up. Bake them. But he cared so deeply and this is the second point. Don't just be introspective, be invested. See, most of the world's simply interested. They're not invested, they're just interested. They want to dabble in God, they want to dabble in spirituality. They, there's no real spiritual fit. And, and some people, and I, again, I'm not being critical, I'm just saying, I did this for years. I spent an hour in prayer from 5 a.m. to 6 a.m. every morning, and some mornings I was in the closet for 55 minutes and prayed for five. I was drooling the other 55 as I slept. And I'd be so mad at myself saying, could you not tarry an hour? And I went, no, I can't. I, I, I don't know. And then I realized I was trying to, I was, I was carrying out this form because God wasn't like all caught up in me praying an hour. We take something out of scripture and Jesus was talking about it, you know, and, and, and could you not tell you, it really, whether you pray 15 minutes, five minutes, what I'd rather say is why don't you focus on God all day long? God's not going to say, okay, how many hours did you pray while you were on earth? Because we have a minimum hour requirement before we let you in. Now, if you've only prayed 5,000 hours your whole lifetime and we demand 10, we're going to give you a couple of years outside the gates just to watch and pray for another 5,000 hours. That's not how this works. This works by faith and surrender and submission to God. I'm totally invested in your will, God, not mine. Challenges that we are so quick to try to figure out how to quickly get everything that we want, but most of the time, 
we're not prepared for what he has prepared for us. If God gave you something you weren't prepared for, that would be cruel. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give that to you, and, but you're going to wreck, crash, and burn. But here, be like you giving, you know, a five-year-old a, a Harley <laughs> and setting them on it, kicking the kickstand up, putting their hands on there, saying, now ride. No, he's getting ready to have about 800 pounds dropped on him. He's not prepared for it. He's not ready for it. Can't ride it yet. He'll be able to someday, but, but you got to ride a trike before you ride a bike, and the bike's got to have training wheels before you got two wheels, and then after that, you're going to get skinned up. Takes time. That's why you can't just be interested in church. You have to be invested in it. You can't just be interested in worship. You have to be invested. You can't just come to church. You got to be invested in it. If you're not serving, you're missing out on one of the greatest components the church has. This is where you get mad at me. I mean, some of these chairs have your booty imprint on them because that's the only place you're going to be sitting. That's mine. And you haven't been anywhere else. It's like from the car to the front door, and then I got to sprint from the front door to the auditorium so nobody talks to me. And I got to get in my seat right now. And then you jet out, and you're like, I ain't shaking nobody's hand. Why? If I catch you, I'm going to be on you like white on rice. (laughs) What are you doing for Jesus? Are you serving at all? You doing anything at all? I don't have time. Oh, I'm sorry that God only gave you 15 hours a day and the rest of us 24. My deepest condolences. You always find the time to do the things you want to do. If somebody says, this is what my week consists of, this is what I do, I say, well, those are the things that you want to do because those are the things you're doing. But spiritual discipline says, what am I doing that I don't want to do but that I need to do to get closer to God? Not because God's running, but because I'm submitting. I like it. I haven't heard that. You can say that anytime you want. I had my mind made up. I got born again in 1977 at the ripe old age of seven. <laughs> Y'all aren't math majors, are you? <laughs> you couldn't do it that quick. <laughs> Rather than getting to know God, I began to get to know what other Christians who had been Christians for a long time, I began to, to watch them instead of pray and read the word. So I took on a denominational paradigm that didn't shift. And when I realized I had separated myself from every other potential denomination because of a stinking sign, I had to make a change. I had to be invested in church, not just my church. Now, when I say my church, I was invested in all that was going on in the world, which is why I think I've been privileged to preach all over the world and in all kinds of denominations. Probably one of the most blessed times I had was in a Catholic church. 
I was running across America in 1990, and Catholics are extremely pro-life, and thank God for life. Thank God for life. And I was invited by a Catholic church, and I said, oh, God, this is where it goes back to culture. Help me help them. Help me help them. It wasn't about me going into the Catholic church and saying, you need to do away with all these things. It was about me going in and talking about the Jesus that gave me the opportunity to go in. And so I preached on Mary. And Mary's last words were, do what he says. (laughs) Didn't drive the point home hard. I just said, you know, thank God. And, and, and I was criticized because I preached in a Catholic church. There were certain people that I can't believe you. Why didn't you go in? I thought, I'm not here to change their culture. I'm here to talk about Jesus who changes lives. How many of you know that people who are hellfire and brimstone want you to preach hellfire and brimstone? I was doing a biker funeral. I've told you all about before. I was doing a biker funeral one of my staff members, it was her cousin, he had been killed. Uh, he got shot in a bar. And uh, I, I say that out loud and very strongly because immediately that will identify what your thoughts are. And so he got shot, and on the way to the hospital, he died. But before he died, the ambulance worker prayed a sinner's prayer and led him to Jesus. So I did my homework. I usually always meet with the family or ask them, tell me a little bit about him and tell me what happened. They tell me the story. And I was so thrilled. I was sad for the family that they had lost a family member, but I was happy that he didn't go to hell. And so I get up, and this place is packed. Let me tell you something. Sinners know how to fill a building. I'm telling you, there are fraternities out there that make the church. They stick together. And so I get up, and I talk about him, and I said, you know, I'm just so thankful. Some of you may not know this, but Bill gave his life to Jesus in the back of an ambulance, and when he was pronounced dead, he, he, he crossed over from life, death to life. He's in the presence of God. I'm preaching, and, and the sinners are happy. But I could look around, I could see religious people going, what religious people really mad about is they didn't partay, and he did. Religious people always say, well, how come he got so lucky? I want to do my thing, and then right before I die, I want to call on Jesus. You're a fool. I got a letter, a three-page letter from a denominational pastor, and this is when I was young, impetuous, and dumb. He heard back from me. And I didn't call and say, I am so sorry. I hope you're okay. I, mm-mm, mm-mm. I, I hope he's in heaven right now. Because I'm going to tell you that I, I could not believe somebody that called themselves a preacher in a church was irritated that I didn't stand up and condemn everybody to hell and say, now do something about it. Folks, our job is to love. God is love. Love never fails. We've got to be invested because if you're not invested, you won't stay. 
One of the greatest things that connects people to a church is they're serving other people. If you want out of your funk, help somebody get out of their funk. Why does anybody care about me? Let me ask you, who do you care about? Because if you're caring about somebody, there'll be more people caring for you than Karens are in the world. <laughs> like doing. Hello, this is Pastor Mark Crow. I just want to take a quick moment to thank you for joining us online. We hope you have a blessed week this week and get to be a blessing to those around you. I want to invite you to join us at Mosaic Church OKC next week at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. or join us online. God bless you.